You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Well, every week as um, we turn in messages and we work on Sundays in particular, uh, the worship team shares a playlist of the songs that fit. And I have the privilege of getting to hear like that song right there uh, and carrying it with me for the last, I guess, three or four days. And so that one in particular has been on repeat, and it really sets up where we're headed with today's text. But to get you there, um, some of you might not have been here last week, so I want to remind you a little bit of last week, because last week and this week, I have a way of tag-teaming together. Um, last week, I asked you to remember uh, three, three numbers, and the numbers were two, three, four. Uh, it, it was a way of summarizing kind of what Paul was teaching. Even though we looked at the end of Philippians 1, we also looked at the beginning of Philippians chapter 2. And Paul said it this way for the church. He said, hey, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. And there's the word. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And we introduced this, this idea about humility. Humility is leveraging what we have for the well-being of those that don't yet have it. And last week as we looked at this... Um, it started to whet our appetites to where we're going this week, because what Paul's going to do this week is he's going to pair this topic of humility with something that everyone in this room have, and that is influence. We all have influence. Um, there's, there's a problem with that statement, and, and when you hear that statement, some of you push back because you think, um, when most of us think about influence, we have a tendency of thinking about the influence of other people. Uh, some of you might even press back and say, well, you think about influence that others have over you, and that's the people that have influence. We don't think about ourselves having influence, but we all do have influence. Uh, consider this. If you're a husband or a wife, you have influence with each other. If you're a parent, you have influence with your kids, and sometimes it doesn't feel like you have influence with your kids. Anybody, any parents in here, just for funsies, uh, ever call a family meeting, show of hands? Or lots of you going up, all right? Well, we, we find out in those moments whether or not we have influence, right? I don't have much influence. There we go, the next one. Uh, if you're in sales, you have influence on behalf of a company. If you're a school teacher, you have influence on behalf of a classroom. A principal on behalf of a school. If you're a sibling, doesn't even matter if you're younger or older, you'll find out over time that you have influence over another sibling. If you're a volunteer and you serve in any capacity, you have influence. If you're a coach a manager, a captain. You have influence over a team. And then finally, if, if you're a friend, you have influence. And unfortunately, what happens is we have a tendency of thinking that uh, when it comes to influence, everybody else has influence, and we think of people that have influence over us. But this is a reminder that we all have influence. I want you today, as we start, to think about the influence that you have right now, whether it was listed or some other capacity. Think about the influence that you do have, who it's with, and how it plays out. Like think about how it plays out perhaps on the way home today. What happens first thing in the morning at work. And as you think about this, I hope you come to a realization today that, that all influence, it has a shelf life. Like God gives it and God who is allowed to give is allowed to retrieve. And every person in this room that has influence in any capacity will have it for a limited window of time. Now, today, there's a question that, that we need to ask on behalf of the influence that we have, and that is this, why? Like, why did God give us influence? 
why do we have it in the first place? In the first place, what we're going to do before we jump into Philippians two is we're going to sneak a peek at what Jesus did with influence, and he did it with his closest friends. In a matter of time, before he was about to be crucified, he's in an upper room with the guys and. He's teaching them about influence. Jesus walks into the room, no doubt, since he's the most influential man on the planet, he's got to be the most influential person in the room. He walks into the room, and the most influential person in the room begins to wash the disciples' feet. And after he washes their feet in an act of humility, he summarizes what he's done, and he says it this way. John 13, verse 12, when he finished washing their feet and he put on his clothes and returned to the place— He said, do you understand what I've done for you? Like on behalf of your influence, on behalf of this act of humility, you guys call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for it's what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. And here we go. I've set you an example. This is what you do with influence. You should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, No servant is greater than his master. And you guys consider yourself a servant, and I'm the master. You're not greater than me, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. He says a few things here that that, that stand out to me. He said, number one, I've set you an example. This is what you do with influence. And number two, he says, and you guys aren't greater than me, so if I'm doing this, you ought to be doing this. And then he says, you'll be blessed when you do this. He's reminding them that humility has a habit of leveraging what we have for the well-being of someone that doesn't have it. And on this night, this display of humility from the Son of God himself, the most influential person in the room, this display that was limited to just a group of friends in a matter of days, this display of humility influence would be put on the hillside. You you consider the the act. It's going to leave the four walls and washing feet, and now it's going to go on public display for all to see. I mean, in that image of the cross and the resurrection, we see the most extreme act of indescribable humility. That's the cross. And the most unstoppable, undeniable realm of influence found in the resurrection. I want us to think about the implications of this as we jump into Philippians 2, because think about the cross, the indescribable, the indescribable sense of humility. I mean, when, when, when you read the Bible, you begin to find out over time, if you consider the cross, Jesus wouldn't even allow angels to stop him from going to the cross. The night that he was arrested in the garden, you know, Peter tries to become a man. Peter pulls out the sword and begins to fight. And Jesus says this to Peter. Jesus said, hey, Peter, put your sword back where it belongs. Everybody who uses swords, they're destroyed by swords. Don't you realize that I am able right now to call my father and 12 companies of fighting angels, they'd be here battle ready. But if I did that, how would the scriptures come true that say this is the way it has to be? I'm telling you, the cross, indescribable humility. Jesus wouldn't allow the angels to stop it. So there's the humility. But then how about the resurrection? The resurrection, like that's undeniable, unstoppable influence. Because if you think about it, death couldn't even stop it. 
Acts chapter 2 is the church is exploding in the city of Jerusalem, the very place, think about it, the very place that they put Jesus to death. Peter gets in front and he begins to tell everyone about the message of, of humility and influence and, and how this humility was undeniable and the influence was unstoppable, right? He makes a statement. Listen to his sermon. Peter says, this man, meaning Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of other wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Look here, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Undeniable influence. Death couldn't even stop it. So consider these two, humility and influence. And as Jesus pairs them together, it's the most unstoppable, contagious, beautiful force known to mankind. We're, we're here 2,000 years later talking about it. But unfortunately, many of us in this room, when we have influence, our primary thought is how do we keep it? Like, think about the influence that you have. I think about the influence that I have. If anybody kind of encroaches on our realm of influence... We do whatever it takes to keep it. Uh, we, we maneuver, we manhandle, we manipulate, we play games. And it's all as an attempt to keep it. Well, that's why this message of Jesus and literally the, the, the indescribable humility, the unstoppable influence. That's why this message today, Paul says, all right, I'm going to squeeze it together real tight. He's writing the letter to the church at Philippi writing to us. This message, he's like, I, I want to do the best I can to kind of give you an idea of how Jesus encompasses it and how we as followers of Christ should encompass it. And so he squeezes it down and to embrace it right, let's go back to verse three. Listen to this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Remember last week, pride's got to move out. If humility is ever going to to move in, pride has to go out. And when you look in the verse, you see selfish ambition and you see vain conceit. If you want to get a picture of what pride looks like, flip those words around. Ambitious selfishness. Ever been there? I have. Conceited vanity. I'm guilty. Paul's like, if you're going to do this right, and if you're going to embrace humility, pride's got to leave, and that type of pride has to disappear. Verse 3 continues, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, here's our word, in humility. Value others better than yourself. And to which I want to know, okay, who are the others? Um, surely you're not talking about everyone as in others. Like, like it's impossible for me to value everyone as much as me. And what's great is the Apostle Paul never really clarifies who the others are in the same way that Jesus in the gospel accounts never really qualifies who his neighbor is. He's like, I want you to think about everyone. And so what this verse is getting at is what does it look like if I treated others around me as if they're better than me? which is hard for us to swallow. It's not saying others are better than us. We're all in the same territory. But he's like, what would it look like if the others that you encounter, if you were to treat them as if they were better than you? And while you're trying to wrap your brain around what it would look like with the influence that we have today, tomorrow, this week, while you're trying to wrap your brain around what it looks like to leverage and treat others as if they're better than us, Paul goes to the next verse, verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of, he says it again, others. To which I want to ask, okay, who are the others? And you know why the reason I, I want to know why, who are the others? 
is because I'm thinking if I'm looking out for others, who's going to look out for me? Like you play through this scenario in extreme versions. If you're constantly treating others as if they're better than you, constantly letting others go first. Like imagine when you leave these doors today. Do you just sit there and hold the door for everyone else, right? And just keep going and you stay there the whole time? Or when you leave the traffic, you get to the roundabout, you get to the merge lane. Do you just let everybody else go and you never, who's going to look, care, look out for you? Like that, that, that's where our brain goes. But Paul goes, no, you're making excuses. Let's go ahead and, and talk about how Jesus did it. Verse number five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So if you are in this room and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, that means you should follow Jesus on how you deal with one another. And the way he did it was he took the influence that he had and paired it with humility. And the outcome we're still talking about today Paul presses in further. Verse 6. Who? Let's talk about Jesus. Being in the very nature God. Okay, talk about influence. Jesus is God. That's influence. Jesus knows that Jesus is divinity. It's the very thing that Jesus claimed when he walked on earth. It's the very thing that got him in trouble. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the very thing that put him on the cross. Verse 6. Who, being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Even though Jesus knew he was God, even though he knew he was divinity, he never used it for his own advantage. Meaning, let's fast forward to this Saturday LSU game. Jesus is not going to go to the game and to walk up to a counter and say, do you know who I am? I know it's sold out, but I'd like to sit right there, Right? That's what it means to not use who he was for his own advantage. Or to go to a crowded restaurant where a long, long wait, and all the tables are full, and he walks in, and, and he says his name. Apparently, you don't know who I am. I, I'd like to sit right, right there. Jesus could have done that. He could have played that card. He could have gone shopping and said, do you know who I am? I get 75% off. It's the very thing. Think about it. It's the very thing that we all do with our influence. Like growing up uh, at this church, I think one of the hardest things uh, there's beauties to it, but there's difficulties to it. One of the hardest things is being a PK. Those that haven't been in church worlds, like preacher's kid. Um, people used to give me a hard time saying this. All that, and they say, you, would you walk around and just tell everybody, hey, do you know who my dad is? Do you know who my dad is? That was like a chance for me to leverage the influence that I have. We all have opportunities of asking things like, do you know who my dad is? Do you know how long I've been with this company? Like, do you know where I worked before I worked at this company? Do you know what my title is? Do you know where I live? Do you know what I drive? Do you know what I make? And we all find ways to subtly take the influence that has been gifted to us, that can easily be retrieved, and we leverage it for our own advantage. But Jesus never took advantage of who he was for himself. That's the beauty of influence and humility when they're partnered at the hip. And Paul continues, verse 7, rather instead he made himself nothing. The Greek word is ekonosin. Get ready. The Greek text means he emptied himself of self. Do you all know what self is? Self is that Thing that caused the argument on the way to church just a few minutes ago. 
Self is the thing that causes problems in the marriage. Self is what causes the drama at work. Self is the drive within us that's responsible for the stupidest decisions we all make. (laughs) And he made himself nothing. Meaning Jesus emptied himself of self. And even though he's God, he could have made it all about him. I'd have made it all about me. But he emptied himself of self. Verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Um, Don't leave any room for error here. This is deep theology. Ready? Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. Jesus looked so much like a man, people only saw him as a man. They had a tough time grasping him as God. According to this text, Jesus literally set aside his rights, his riches, and his reputation as God. And he put it on the side for our behalf. Verse 8, Paul says, and being found in appearance as a man. Look, they bring the word back. It's like it's bookends to this passage. He humbled himself, meaning he leveraged what God gave him for the benefit of those that didn't have it. He did it this far. Verse 8, he being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Like to his very death. Let that sink in because tomorrow, maybe even after today, you and I have the the simplest opportunities to leverage our influence by being humble on behalf of others. And we won't do it. I mean, you think about it. When you go to the grocery, perhaps on the way home, and you notice that someone else is close to getting in line and you're close to getting in line at the same time, you don't make eye contact, right? Because you're wanting to get in line first. We don't even humble ourselves on behalf of someone else. Or when we leave and we got to merge and Someone else is trying to merge at the same time. We act as if we're going on anyway. We're not even going to merge. Or if you go to my house and we prepared a meal, we won't even humble ourselves to let someone else have the smallest piece of steak, the smallest piece of dessert. Like we're going for the biggest. Even in the simplest forms where we could show humility, we struggle with humility because we, we use our influence in ways to encourage and protect our own influence. But Paul takes it even a step further. On behalf of Jesus, he says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Look here. Even death on a cross. And so as this church in Philippi is reading this letter from Paul who's in prison, this is what he wants them to know. He's like, I don't know what you're doing with what God gave you, but this is what Jesus did. With what God gave him. Meaning all the influence in the world. And he paired it with humility. And it made all the difference in the world. In other words, indescribable humility, undeniable, unstoppable influence. And we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. Um, some in this room kind of new to church and we're thrilled you're here. Um, hopefully many in this room that have said no to church for a long time are realizing that this church still says yes to you, okay? That's why we gather. And if you're in this room today and you're hearing this and how it plays out, you're probably, I hope, 
asking a question. And the question is, why did Jesus really do that? Like when it comes to the influence, when it comes to humility, when, when it comes to death on the cross, like was he just trying to show us how to behave as good people? Eh, kind of. But there's much, much more to it. I want to describe it this way. Um, there's God and there's us. There's a tremendous distance between us and God. You know it. I know it. The world knows it. Like, like, you have those, those moments where you're really having a, a deep thought. Um, you're not distracted or anything. You just kind of honed in on what life is and how, how real death eventually will be. And you start to think, okay, if there's a God, there's got to be a distance between me and God. And at night, kind of in those still moments, you wonder, man, how do I stand with God? Like, like I, I can't help but know. I, I want to know. And, and so all across the world, all types of humans do all types of things. Like, to bridge that distance. Like, okay, I'll, I'll pray a lot more. I'll give a lot more. I'll be a, a volunteer and I'll serve in lots of capacities. I'll go to confession multiple times a week and talk to a priest. I'll go on a pilgrimage. Like, I'll devote all this stuff to this stuff. Because all of us are acknowledging there is that, that gap. There is a distance. And everybody around the world is doing things in hopes of making that thing okay. See, we all know there's distance between us and God. We all know there's a sense of uncertainty. We don't know how we stand with God. I want you to consider this. Just think about it. Logically, let it play out. If God continued to approach the creation that he made from only heaven in his divinity and on the throne, we all be down here every day of the week, clueless, swirling around confused, powerless when it comes to sin, absolutely no purpose. Every generation would just be hoping that things would get better between us and God. Like hoping, praying, trying, wishing, fingers crossed, please let it get better. The only way for that to change was for God to come to us. And that's why this story took place. So please hear me, all of us. The reason Jesus emptied himself of self. The reason that Jesus, as God, set aside his rights, his riches, and his reputation. And not just in the room as he washed their feet. I mean, when he left the walls of that room and the influence of the friends, and he, he was put on that hillside in front of all of Jerusalem, the reason Jesus allowed himself to be nailed to a cross is an extraordinary love for you. And that's what the Son of God did with his influence. Uh, consider this. This is what Jesus did with what God gave him. What will you do with what God's given you, Christian? We claim to be following Jesus. He's gifted us this realm of influence. What will we do with the influence that he's given us? He begs us to pair it with humility. Take our cues from him. What's beautiful about this passage is the way it ends. As God watches the Son of God move forward in obedience and humility to the cross, to the empty tomb. Philippians 2 verse 9. Therefore... 
God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. I'd like to press in as we get ready to close. Um, Today in this room, I know there are people that struggle right now and you're wanting to know about that gap between you and God. Perhaps it's because of something stupid you did a long time ago, maybe recently you're eating up with guilt, and you feel like that distance between you and God has just grown that further apart. And you're trying harder. You've gone a long time without doing something bad. You're at church, for goodness sakes, right? You think God's keeping score on all these? I want you to understand the point of this message. Is God came to you. He sent his son who leveraged all the influence in the world in the most humble of ways by going to the cross to make things right. And so today in a quiet room, I would encourage everyone across the room, just, just close your eyes. Just you and God right now. And if you've been worried about the gap, if you've been worried about the distance, if you've been worried about the uncertainty, and you've been trying and failing and trying and failing, some of you for the first time, just acknowledge. And you tell them in the quietness of your heart, dear God, thank you for sending Jesus for me. The best I know how right now, I want to surrender my life to you. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. Help me as I walk forward. With heads bowed and eyes closed in the room, if that's you, I want to encourage you to do something today. At the end of the service, the front right of this room, there's a room called Next Steps. Go in there and chat with them about giving your life to Christ. Or even as you leave today, if you go to the front of the room, like the main parking lot area, there's a next steps wall. There's a bunch of people there that would love to chat. Now let me press in on another group. There are others in this room. You've done that before. But you've never been baptized. Do you realize baptism is a display of everything that we just read in Philippians 2 about the influence of Jesus and the humility of Jesus. Jesus humbled himself to get baptized himself and he commanded us to be baptized as followers of Jesus. And when you get baptized, do you realize it's a humble picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the most influential, unstoppable moment in the world. And you have the privilege. Some in this room today, you need to schedule a baptism. I know you're nervous. You've talked yourself out of it so many times. Why don't you just take a step at least of signing up, asking some more questions to the front right of the room, or as you leave, there's a next steps wall. And then finally, for those in the room that have been coming here for a while, let's say you're kind of affiliated with a a church, but not really because you haven't been forever. This place has become home. Let me tell you a little bit about this place called Severe Heights. You know, we have our phrase, we're shaping the way a city views the local church. Do you know what that means? 
It literally means we want to make a big deal of Jesus. So when people walk into the doors, we want to reflect Jesus. That means we're going to do what Philippians 2 says. We'd like to take the little bit of influence that we've got on behalf of Jesus and humbly place it in the direction of those that don't yet have it. We want to reflect his purpose and his personality. And for some of this room that are not yet affiliated with this church, but this church is becoming home, we would encourage you today, hey, why don't you make it official? You know what? I'm ready to partner here. I'm ready to call this place home. If that's you, afterwards, same places, there's a next steps wall to talk about partnership, membership, whatever you want to call it. And on October 30th, we're going to teach a class called Welcome to Severe Heights. It's telling you more about what it looks like to make this place home. Here's what it is. It's basically a, a bunch of other followers of Jesus that have acknowledged this passage in Philippians 2 is where it's at. And we're coming together as a team to make a dent on this set, city on behalf of Jesus. Father, my prayer today is for those that have trusted you as Lord and Savior for the first time. For those in this room that are acknowledging that they need to schedule a baptism. For those in this room that humbly need to decide to partner with the local church, I pray that they would be obedient. God, above all, we thank you for Philippians 2. We thank you for the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. I thank you for the gospel message that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and you were seen. And in the same way that this news changed that local church called Philippi, I pray that it would change this local church called Severe Heights. I pray this in Jesus' name.